With Metro and the best deal in wireless, whatever your goal, however you hustle, you can rule your day. Get two lines with 5G access included for just $35 a month per line, period. With taxes and regulatory fees always included, so you know exactly how much you pay every month. All on America's largest 5G network at no extra charge. Plus, at Metro, get the latest 5G phones, like a Samsung Galaxy for less than 100 bucks when you switch. That's the best deal in wireless, so you can take control of your day wherever it takes you. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. Requires auto pay. First month is $40 per line for two lines. Samsung A51 requires port from eligible carrier and ID validation limited to two per account. Coverage not available in some areas. See Metro by T-Mobile.com or store for details. With Metro and the best deal in wireless, whatever your goal, however you hustle, you can rule your day. Get two lines with 5G access included for just $35 a month per line, period. With taxes and regulatory fees always included, so you know exactly how much you pay every month. All on America's largest 5G network at no extra charge. Plus, at Metro, get the latest 5G phones, like a Samsung Galaxy for less than 100 bucks when you switch. That's the best deal in wireless, so you can take control of your day wherever it takes you. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. Requires auto pay. First month is $40 per line for two lines. Samsung A51 requires port from eligible carrier and ID validation limited to two per account. Coverage not available in some areas. See Metro by T-Mobile.com or store for details. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello and welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Steven Jodrant. Joining me today is Jake Latroba. And on today's episode, it is another interview special. We speak with Executive Vice President of USL Court Jeske. Now, just for some context, we did interview Court a few weeks ago. Now, listeners, if you haven't done so, hit that subscribe button on whichever podcast platform you are listening to. Leave us a five-star review. And follow us at Pod. Later this week, we got some U.S. Open Cup and MLS coverage, so stay tuned for that. If you haven't done so, check out our interview with Jordan Gardner. He is the majority owner of FC Helsinger in Denmark. As well as our sit-down with Joel Soria of Quake's Epicenter to get everything you need to know about Matthias Almeida and the rising San Jose earthquakes. But now, let's get to it. Joining us right now is the Executive Vice President of USL, Court Jeske. Thanks for joining us, Court. How's it going? Fantastic. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's dive right in here, Court. You were previously the CEO for USL Club Nashville SC and spent more than eight years 
with Soccer United Marketing, where you helped oversee international events for CONCACAF, the Mexican national team, and U.S. soccer. You've seen soccer from a lot of different viewpoints. What has been the biggest challenge for the sport in one of, if not the, top sporting markets? Uh, that's a great question. As you said, I, I've been very, very fortunate to work in this game going back to 2000. Uh, actually, my first job out of college was selling tickets for the Kansas City Wizards. And I can tell you guys that uh, trying to fill up an 85,000-seat Arrowhead Stadium uh, with the MLS of 2001 was not an easy task, but it was a learning one. And I, I have been very fortunate to participate in the growth of this game and, and try to help and contribute at so many levels um, and different vantage points. I, I think we, we have arrived right now. Now the question is no longer, uh, will soccer survive? Will professional soccer survive? But the question really in, in the marketplace is re- reacting to this is, how big can it be, right? The, uh, the, the, the questions of the naysayers are, are becoming fewer and fewer every year as more and more people follow the professional game, they follow the men's and women's national team, uh, they follow international soccer. So I think we have, to, we have to keep at it. We have to make some tweaks and changes. Uh, we have to evolve with the fans. But all in all, I, I think we are, we are here, although it's an unfinished story by by all accounts court let me ask you this when you look at the nba it seems like a handful of markets get all the talent get all the the recognition from the media and then you look at the nfl and it just doesn't seem to matter it could be the jacksonville jaguars or it could be the dallas cowboys Mm -hmm. people are drawn to it players don't care who they play for they care about just the paycheck how does soccer compete with those two different models? So I would say that this, again, is part of the unfinished story that we have to write. And, and we at USL, uh, the folks at MLS, we've got to determine what kind of leagues we're building and what is that balance of having consistent known champions and bands, uh, like you know, professional soccer in most of the world, where you start the season and you have two or three clubs that have a chance to win. Um, And juxtapose that to the U.S., where, by and large, uh, we come from the sporting ethos that every single team at the beginning of the year, if they do things right, should have the chance to compete. Um, I think in all the the leagues, that plays out a little bit differently. Um, But what's important in soccer that we really have to think about is that we're in a global marketplace. Right, so the other four sports that are predominant in North America, uh, the U.S. and Canada in particular, uh, those are all the pinnacle of those sports. Here in soccer, uh, obviously, a player can apply his trade not only in USL, they can go to MLS, they can go to the English Premier League, wherever it might be. Um, and so, as we continue to grow the professional game here, we've got to think about the players and how we move up that global food chain. Uh, vis-a-vis what the other leagues around the world are doing and competing. And that's the one thing that's very different that people often forget uh, versus the other four sports that are common in the U.S. and Canada. Well, Courtney, you make a great point there. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, a global marketplace when you're talking about soccer, whereas you look at the NFL, there's this, there's this scarcity. Not everybody plays American football. It's 
really just in the the confines of America and, and maybe you know to a lesser extent Canada. But I, I want to talk about your time at Nashville. You were the CEO there from October 2016 to December 2018. Uh, this year, USL Championship will be losing Nashville SC to MLS. That announcement came in December 2017, right in the middle of your time with the club. And what I want to ask you is, what was it like pitching MLS during the expansion bid? Well, I, I would say, look, my goal when we moved to Nashville was to create the best USL brand that we could. And what I had seen from many other markets, not only MLS, but also USL, uh, was that if you get the right ownership group and you've got the right city, um, and there's an appetite for the game, which there had been in, in Nashville. If you build the club the right way, right, and you you basically grab the attention or force the attention of the, the global soccer landscape. And that was our mission when I set out and, uh, and was making the choice to, to make that jump. You know, not too many people get to build a club from the ground up and certainly don't get to do it in a place like Nashville, Tennessee. So that was that was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I cherish. Um, and it was great to build the club, help uh, influence the brand, let the fans put their fingerprint on it. Um, and ultimately, our ownership group, uh, led by John Ingram, had aspirations to go to MLS and uh, was successful in the bid. Um, but it was all part of the narrative, right? When we were there, we were fortunate to grab people's attention by saying, look, we've sold more season tickets, 6,200 season tickets, in our first USL season than any other USL club in history. You know, more than Portland Timbers, more than FC Cincinnati. We, 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 we forced the conversation with not only the folks in Nashville, but the folks nationally and even internationally that, that you know, papers and Europe and things were talking about uh, what is going on with this soccer sauce in Nashville and this USL club. Um, and I think that that is a success story that continues today there for, uh, for the folks in Music City. Now, Court, what is the mindset of a front office for a club that originally was going to be playing in USL, but also had to make preparations for MLS? Well, I, I think you find the balance, right? And at the end of the day, uh, and, and Ian Air, the, my successor, uh, has done a very good job with this. It's less about the league that teams are playing in, and it's more about what that club means to the local community. Right? I, I think over the last 20 years, I, I've, I've noticed in, in the American soccer landscape, sometimes we kill ourselves and the fans with acronym soup of, of leagues and federations, of, of governing bodies, all this. The fans ultimately want to wake up and go root for a professional club that means something to them, that has players from the area, that has a brand that reflects their community. Um, and that's what we focused on, right? And then whether you're playing uh, a friendly match against Atlanta United or whether you're playing, um, you know, Memphis 9-1, whoever it might be, uh, what, what matters in, in soccer globally is that the local community is brought to the forefront and that they have a chance to root for their club on a global scale. Now, Corey, I want to ask you maybe a, a broader question here about USL. What is the single biggest challenge facing the league today? Well, I think it's pretty simple to me. We've got to continue to build our fans. Uh, we've got to build people that understand and appreciate 
the quality of soccer that we have. Uh, we have to have fans and, and, and avid fans in all of our markets across the league, our championship markets, our league one markets, that see how big the sport can be. And uh, part of that ownership balance is, is looking at the investment that it requires today to achieve our full potential down the road. Um, but it starts with the fans, right? And so we spend a lot of time with our clubs and with the league talking about how do we make this a brand of soccer that is attractive to the fans and that they can relate to and that they want to make um, USL their, their league of choice in terms of following, watching, uh, engaging on social media and attending matches. But how do you bridge that gap to an American population where there's hockey, American football, basketball, baseball? There's so much sports in America. How do you get the fans, the community to buy in to the project of a professional soccer club? Well, I think there's been some fantastic examples of where that's gone really well. Um and I'm not going to lie, there's a challenge. Right? Every market has its own dynamic, its own challenges, its own competitors. Um, what I absolutely will bet on uh, after being involved for this for almost 20 years is that the demographics, um, the future of our sport, just the game itself, the fact that it's short, compact, uh, doesn't require a terribly long attention span, all these elements over the next decade uh, with the backdrop of the World Cup coming to our, our shores um, is something that some of my colleagues and, and counterparts that work at the other four uh, sports or even the college landscape continue to see this as a, as a sport with tremendous upside. Court, we see a fair number of teams in the USL Championship playing in baseball stadiums. Is that something the league wants to move away from in the future? Well, I think what we would prefer is that everyone has a soccer-specific stadium uh, and a downtown venue that is the right capacity and the right optics. Uh, the reality is that takes time and that takes investment. And many of our ownership groups have fantastic dynamics with their own facilities, uh, baseball or otherwise, that are already in place. So absolutely stadiums for us and the right size and the right location are something that we work on. Um, but it isn't, isn't at all that something we wake up and say this has to be solved uh, tomorrow. You know, the, the fans ultimately in the growth of our league, the USL, will lead to the right kind of investment that communities and owners are making um, in facilities and soccer-specific stadiums. How do you get an ownership group to, to buy into that sort of thing, to invest more into team facilities like a, a, a practice facility or a – a soccer-specific stadium? What they have to, we have to work with ownership on is making sure they understand the opportunity for the sport. Um, and for, for the last 20, 30 years, it has been an investment sport and continues to be today. But what we know and what we talk about a lot at USL is we're just at the end of our first decade. This is our ninth season. Next year, 2020, will be the start of our, our second decade. Right. How much if you think about the progress and growth we've seen in the number of clubs, the attendance, uh, the partnership with ESPN, the sponsorship uh, that's coming with the commercial interest, all that we've got to this point, the last nine years, 
then you've got to sit down and have a have a meaningful discussion about what can it look like as it matures over the next decade, and where can that endpoint be, and make sure that um, owners and clubs are are not only invested in the brick and mortar of the sport, but they're invested in their communities uh, again, and making sure that the fans feel like this club represents them um, on a day to day basis. That's what it's all about. Court, I want to talk about some rumors. St. Louis, Sacramento, and Las Vegas have been in the headlines for making that next step to MLS. Do you have any insight into whether or not they are going to be indeed confirmed as the next jump from USL to MLS? Uh, I do not. And, and you know, each one of our clubs has their own dynamic and their own growth and trajectory and, and makes their own choice. Uh, what we're finding more and more is that there's a large group of the USL championship, 27 independent clubs now, 28 with San Diego, that uh, find USL as the best place for them and the best home for their future and their growth. How does the league handle clubs leaving for MLS? I think it's part of the maturation of the sport here, right? In, in, a, in a marketplace where we don't have promotion and relegation, um, there are different dynamics at play. But essentially, we keep growing, and our growth has absorbed and then some uh, any clubs that are have departed or will depart for a different league. Um, it, it's something that overall you have to focus on uh, covering the map. Right? That's what we, we talk about often is how do we cover the map and make sure that the North American soccer landscape has a professional, and in our case with League Two, amateur clubs that it needs so that we can reach our full potential. That, that's what we're really focused on daily versus um, one or two clubs here and there um, deciding to make a move. Court, you, you mentioned the magic words there, promotion relegation. Uh, I'm not going to take the bait on that one, though. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> uh, I do want to ask you about Sam Stasekel's report uh, in The Athletic on July 18th, that sources within MLS and USL have told him that USL would like to move all MLS-owned teams in the USL championship down to USL League One. Do you have any comments on that report? Not not on the report. I, I guess what I would say is we are committed to working with our partners in MLS, uh, as we have been for many, many years, to make sure that the, the dynamic between the two leagues is a positive one. Um, to make sure that we together are maximizing the potential uh, in this North American soccer landscape and ultimately figuring out how do we, we find a working relationship um, that is appropriate for how the leagues have grown today. And, and there's going to be a lot of work that goes into that. Um, but uh, they, will, they will, are, are absolutely part of this conversation. How, how does the league handle rumors of the creation of, say, a Super League between Mexico and the U.S. and add in Canada come midway through the next decade? You know, we, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about or reacting to other things that, that folks may be working on uh, and, and how that might play out is, is hard to see. Um, you'd have to ask the folks at 425th in New York about that. Um, look, we, we very much are a part of the North American landscape. You know, USL, MLS, and the U.S. Soccer Federation are, are kind of the three players as it relates to domestic soccer. And so we all, it's, it's a responsibility of all of us 
to make sure that we're, we're making decisions that are in the fans' best interest, the players' best interest, and ultimately the best interest of the game. Um, and, and those chips will fall, and no doubt there will be an evolution at all levels uh, as the game continues to grow. Uh, Court, I wanted to ask you about the report a few weeks ago from Bob Williams, the sports business, that USL was negotiating a new TV deal. Is there any news on that front, or do you have any comments on that report? Uh, we don't have anything to uh, announce at this time, but what I can what I can share is that uh, as we went out and discussed with the marketplace the potential of working with USL, not only the championship, the League One, uh, there was robust interest from many, many partners uh, that said, we believe in soccer, we want to be a part of its growth, we want to be a part of the story. Um, and that, that puts us in a favorable position. Um, that's the kind of growth property you want to be associated with. So there'll certainly be more on that to come in the future, but nothing at this time. Court, last question here. Got to ask you, where's USL going? What does the future hold for the league? Well, one of the things that we talk about often uh, is, again, where can this league be in 10 years? And I think we, we've set the bar very high that there's no reason that the USL championship as, as one of the best championship leagues in the world can't also be one of the top 10 leagues in the world, period, regardless of, regardless of classification. Um, and so we need to figure out how do we cover that map with professional soccer clubs? How do we create the connectivity between uh, the championship markets between League One, between League Two, our relationship with MLS. How do we make sure that all those pieces are providing the right uh, ecosystem to to grow the game? But then I, I do think we're at the point that the question is not whether or not the league is going to survive. It's how big can we be and how big can we make this? Um, the English Championship is very, very meaningful to a lot of people not only in England, but around the world. There's no reason that USL cannot fall in that same category. Uh, and that will pay great dividends um, for the sport, both here in the U.S. and in Canada. Court, thank you so much for joining us today. The floor is yours for anything else you want to add. I'd just like to thank you guys very much for having me on the show. Uh, certainly 20 years ago, there was not a soccer podcast like this that we could be a part of. Uh, we appreciate your support of USL. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm uh, a huge supporter of the league and, and what this sport can be, but we can only do it with people like Uncle Sam's podcast. Um, anyone who wants to follow what we're doing at the league, check me out at, at Court Jeske on Twitter. And uh, we get a little, excuse me, a little window into the world that we have on a daily basis. Awesome. Well, Court, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Be well. It was really nice to meet you and uh, chat with you for a while. My local coffee shop is my Penn State World Campus classroom, giving me the full Penn State experience online. It's home to thousands of students working together with faculty to advance our careers, change our careers, or finally earn our degree. My classroom is just like every Penn State classroom because it's getting me to where I want to be. Click on the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. Get a credit card that gives you what you need now 
a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and a place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together, we can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit penfed.org slash goldcard. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.